Oh, Scarface. What? Come on, man. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. I'm Scott Elfstrom. And today we have a very special return guest, Stephen Guerra from the Beyond the Big Screen podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you guys so much for coming on today and joining me and um, talking about this great movie. Oh, don't spoil it yet. Let's, <laughs> 1983 is one of the high watermarks in American cinema history. But in mid-April 1983, history was changed forever when Chuck Norris kick-punched his way into our young hearts. Crossbows, shotguns, spinning heel kicks, and warm pearl beer. Today we examine the great work of Texas cinema, Lone Wolf McQuaid. But first, what's your favorite fact about Chuck Norris? Now, just to set the scene, these are facts. These are not made-up things. And uh, crop circles, if you didn't know, guys, are Chuck Norris's way of telling the world that sometimes corn needs to lie down. <laughs> That's true. That's very, very true. Contrary to uh, what you might assume, uh, being Texan, uh, Chuck Norris wouldn't like to be a Pepper too, but uh, Pepper would like to be Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that is probably a true fact. So a true fact is that Chuck Norris can divide by zero. Oh, ooh, <laughs> math humor. That's right, my alley. Oh. And and he probably would do it with a high kick. <laughs> A little known fact about Chuck Norris is that he won the 1983 World Series of Poker despite holding only a joker, a get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly, a two of clubs, and a green four from the game Uno. He didn't even have five cards. (laughs) (laughs) He would be able to win. (laughs) That sounds 100% true to me. I never get tired of reading like some obscure history thing you'd be like i'm gonna just and you could spend hours reading wikipedia same thing for chuck norris facts i could spend <laughs> hours reading all the facts about chuck norris yeah well so apparently chuck norris's favorite chuck norris fact is that uh, they considered put, putting chuck norris on mount rushmore uh, but his beard was too tough to be made into granite <laughs> <laughs> oh we could do this all <laughs> night guys before we start, let's welcome back to the show Stephen. You might remember him from episode 39 about Spanish missions. Stephen hosts the History of the Papacy podcast, but he also has a new podcast called Beyond the Big Screen. Stephen, tell us a little bit about the show. Well, Beyond the Big Screen is a show where we take a movie and look at the, use it as a lens to look at what the, more of the history and the background of the movie is. And we, I, talk with great guests like you guys and other guests who are really passionate about these movies. And we just really do a deep dive. And sometimes we go off on tangents, um, but it's all really interesting. And I think we're going to really do that with this movie today. So why don't you tell us what is a tangent? (laughs) Tangent is wherever it goes. (laughs) I think we are the masters of going off on tangents. So. Say, what better way to go off on a tangent than to talk about what a tangent is? Let me explain is. that to you. I, I believe I believe we had five tangential episodes about Texas Rising last year. Uh, so they, they were definitely these these were these were the more casual ones. Well, today's going to be a fun look at a great film that is you know one of my personal uh, totems. It's a 
It's a diary for, you know, it's a roadmap for living. Lone Wolf McQuaid with Chuck Norris. Now, originally, this was going to, this was written as a script that was uh, just about a lone Texas ranger. And it was a modern day retelling of the life and times of Ranger Captain Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Now, you might remember him when we talked about uh, one of our Halloween episodes with the town that dreaded sundown. And uh, he was a, a real-life Texas Ranger. And he, he worked alone. He was very famous. He eventually became a Ranger captain. And he's got a fascinating life, and I know that we'll do an episode on him uh, coming up sometime. But uh, Kate Nile and B.J. Nelson had conceived and wrote this script based on his life. Steve Carver, who had previously directed Chuck Norris in An Eye for an Eye, saw the script, and it was one of those Hollywood things of a friend had given it to him. And he said, you know, this would be a perfect role for my good friend Chuck. Now, according to sources, Carver felt this film represented an opportunity for Chuck Norris to sort of mess up his image. He planned for Norris to, you know, grow yourself a big beard, you're going to drink beer, you're going to kind of be rough and tough. But Chuck really was hesitant, and he wanted to be a, a good role model to children in his movie. So it took a lot of convincing for him to, to really embrace this role. Yeah, so Carver, he revised the screenplay because he felt like it was a little too by the numbers. Uh, and so he kind of tried to fix some of the technical and the score, story problems. And I'll reserve judgment on how well they did. But uh, he contacted his really good friend and his shooting buddy, John Milius. Now, John Milius, you may remember, uh, wrote uh, the one of the screenplays for Apocalypse Now, as well as for Patton, and uh, co-wrote Patton. And he also uh, directed Conan the Barbarian, one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, so Miley has contributed some ideas, and he gave some advice on how to use firearms, because he'd done some action movies. Uh, and Miley has wrote the iconic opening scene that we'll talk about in a few minutes with the horse thieves. But he does remain uncredited, although Carver does thank him uh, quite publicly and, and quite often. So it's clear when you watch Lone Wolf McQuaid that there was an obvious influence on Carver by the Sergio Leone Westerns. Uh, now, unfortunately, despite the script star and uh, the pedigree of inspiration, the script was uh, rejected by every studio. So it was only because another project had fallen through, freeing up some money, that Lone Wolf McQuaid was greenlit by Orion Pictures. Uh, Chuck Norris and David Carradine refused to use stunt doubles for their climactic fight scene, despite strong reservations from the producers. Uh, I would imagine on their tight budget, they didn't have a lot of insurance either. Well, I, there's this great quote I'd found from Chuck Norris. He said, the thing about the fight with Dave is that not only is it very well done, but it and the other martial arts scenes are not just fillers. You've got to have more than technique if you're going to capture the emotions of the audience. Now, we can dispute the idea of filler fight scenes in a few minutes as we sort of walk through the film. Uh, yeah. You know, as it stands, it's it's a 60% today on, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, you know, it's a, it's fresh. Uh, and it has an audience score of around 66. So there's a pretty good chance, uh, there's about two or three chance that you're going to like this film when you watch it. That's what that tells me. We mentioned Sergio Leone uh, as an influence, and I think it does, but another influence I'd say would be Don Siegel, uh, who directed the Dirty Harry movies and a lot of the Clint Eastwood Mary movies. There's a definite Dirty Harry feel to a lot of uh, a lot of the scenes and, and situations in the in the movie, and I'll, I'll try to point some of those out because I did note several of those. So why don't we do this? Let's go ahead and say right now that if you haven't seen the film and you're interested to see the film and you don't want something spoiled, 
that came out in movie theaters in 1983, and we're recording this in 2018, <laughs> then you can <laughs> shut this down and you can go watch it on iTunes uh, or whatever your online um, TBS. You know, you might even have a VHS copy in a box and watch it for <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, VHS. So we're going to jump in, start recapping the plot and having a lot of fun. So join us for the ride today. Uh, I will start before we, the the best recap of the whole film I found was the New York Times review for Lone Wolf McQuaid. The title of the review was Villainy Dispatched in El Paso. <laughs> I was like, that, that kind of wraps it up, puts a nice button on it. So, uh, all right, so here's my Sean's patented eight-year-old uh movie review daddy what's uh, and, a movie <laughs> yeah now this uh so this movie I, I think i saw this probably when i was in junior high so uh and then rewatched it i rewatched it and it was a little different than i remembered it but here's the basic plot so chuck norris uh is a texas ranger and he's a grizzly gritty grimy kind of guy he's got a big beard he's dirty he's got a grimy hat uh he's got a Pickup truck, not a not a pickup truck, but a, a Dodge Ram Charger. A, yeah, Dodge Ram Charger, uh, which once upon a time, you know, today you would call it an SUV sort of, but at the time it was like an ORV, an off-road vehicle, four four-wheel drive. It's filthy. He's got this great big 357 Magnum uh, holstered in his on his belt, and he's got a sawed-off shotgun. So he's staking out these horse thieves, and these are it's, it's obvious they're out in a desert somewhere, probably either. You know, outside of, you know, right around the Rio Grande River, maybe on the other side of the Rio Grande River. Um, and he's staking out these horse thieves and they're, they've stolen these Mexican guys and they've stolen these horses. And they're very stereotypical stock bad guys. And one of, one of the guys is like, I'm el, I'm el guapo, I'm jefe, I'm the boss. <laughs> and I got a vest and a hairy chest and a big gut. So, uh, but he's about to bust these guys when the, the some highway patrolmen and a local sheriff, uh, they try to, you know, arrest these guys and they end up all getting killed except for like one guy. Uh, and so Chuck Norris comes in and he just, he just beats the crap out of all of these, all of these bad guys, shoots them, kills them, kicks them, blows them up. So, you know, there's 10 minutes of scene setting, uh, before the first kick is thrown, but a kick is indeed thrown. Uh, and so Chuck Norris ends up rescuing the one remaining cop. Uh, and he's, a he's a young guy. He's a Hispanic guy. Uh, he's a highway patrolman, which if you don't know in Texas, highway patrolmen become Texas Rangers. So, so yeah. And so it's actually the actor who plays Chakotay later in the 1990s in the, in the Star Trek Voyager show. Yeah. Mr. Um, Robert Beltran. Yeah. Without a, without a tattoo. So Scott mm -hmm. was disappointed. <laughs> and let me just uh, say, before you move on from the horse thief scene guys, that there, it is essentially like. It is proto John Wick. It is one guy fighting his way through like fifty <laughs> well armed horse thieves to get to a singular objective. He uh, is yeah. very good at firing that submachine gun from he, the hip. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. So he, so he would he, do that again wield, later in Invasion USA. If you yes, but he wields that submachine gun as uh, a painter uh, would wield a brush. <laughs> He's a murderous Bob Ross. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the Robert Beltran character too. Like I have the feeling like they wanted it, Eric Estrada, but he was way too big. <laughs> so they could had Robert Beltran, but he was awesome. Yeah. yeah he well was. they might have gotten A. Martinez, you know, he went back when he was on Santa Barbara. 
So let me also point out one other thing from that. So a uh, f- fun fact, the the main bad guy who is the uh, the, the head horse wrangler is like, put him down, put him down, put him down, boys. He's welcome our guest. That guy is in Three Amigos. He's he's one of the banditos <laughs> in Three Amigos also. Oh, I was looking he is. You know, IMDb, I was, I like, was just searching imdb to see if i could because he looked very familiar to that me is he's not el guapo but he's one of the he's one of the guys that rides into town yeah. uh the first time to look for some some tequila i was like man and that guy looks really familiar where do i know him from awesome yeah. that guy's excellent and if anybody knows his agent we'd love to talk to him <laughs> but uh you know, so when you, I, eat- you know you said you said john wick and i i i'll admit i haven't seen john wick i oh would say gosh. It's very dirty, Harry. It's he's 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 a lone guy. He's gonna walk in and he's gonna be very stoic and he's gonna just completely kick butt and destroy all of these dudes and and he's gonna you know you know he doesn't even you know Chuck doesn't even have a, a line that he just delivers. Well, this is really. this is hyper re this is hyper yeah. real action for 1983. Right. So so by the way, this this is like the first like four minutes of the movie that we're recapping ten. now. It's ten minutes. It's the first ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but he, the whole point is he's, he he captures the bad guys, he comes out unscathed, and traditional law enforcement is just too rigid to be effective. They're setting oh, 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 that tone I, hey, and theme throughout this. Yeah. Oh, here. He had a rifle, and he shot their, their – because they had some trucks there too. He shot at their trucks with this rifle with armor-piercing bullets. Yeah. Which I didn't know was standard issue for the Texas Rangers in the 1980s. So here's well, – in, well, let's, let's – I wouldn't say that there's anything uh, standard issue yes. about Chuck Norris. <laughs> well, no. No, I, there's nothing standard issue about Texas Rangers either. There's no official uniform. There was no – that was kind of the whole thing was is you were – you were law enforcement, but you were also sort of free to define your own way to enforce law. And you do what you do to do your job. Yeah. Something I was going to ask you, because I think I heard it on one of your previous episodes, that there was something with like the cut of their shirt and there was like a certain number of colors that they can choose from. And Chuck Norris seemed to throw that all out the window. Well, he yeah. he had some kind. I have no idea like where that, that shirt bunch. comes from. <laughs> I mean, I, I know there's some replica prop movie geek out there that can probably point me to the manufacturer who makes those shirts still. And then yeah. you can buy five or and six. And then you can buy five or six for, you know, for Comic-Con. Okay, so here's another thing I want to point out. So the title sequence, we circle back to the title sequence. So, of course, the very first thing you see on this movie, just to make sure you're watching a movie about Lone Wolf McQuaid, the very first thing you see is a wolf running around, which I think... Like the screenshot of that was used on the T-shirts of just about every nerd in the early 1990s. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've wolf seen quite are... a few nerds wearing those wolf shirts. Well, listen, and... if you've got wolf in the name of your movie, if yeah, it's Lone exactly. Wolf McQuaid, Dances with Wolves, Lone Wolf and Cub, whatever you're doing, wolf, you know, the wolf always wins. Yes, uh, and so from a for seriously though the. The, the very first sequence is very iconically Western. I think it's very iconically Western in a lot of ways. And it's also iconically that that action movie, the, the 70s and early 80s action movie. But then you get you throw in the kicking and the, the, the martial arts, which kind of makes it a more of a modern type of feel to the movie. It makes it art. So, yeah. So, OK, so the next scene is is set in downtown El Paso and there's a celebration going on. Uh, and it's the retirement of his mentor, 
another ranger whose name is Dakota for some reason, but his his mentor Dakota, and uh, this is played by the great character actor L.Q. Jones. If you've seen any Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, L.Q. Jones is one of the one of the stars of the Sam Peckinpah movies. He's got kind of Chris Christopherson hair, wavy hair, but he's got a big, big mustache. And he actually is dressed like Colonel Sanders for some reason in this scene. But the the Ranger captain is giving Dakota this medal uh, for his retirement. Hold on a second. Well, but two, two things. You can't, one, you can't criticize the name Dakota. And I only say that because all of us ha- have children that are in grade school at some point, And you can look at, like, the the Bradens and the Christophers and the other unique namings that are out there today that, you know, Dakota is pretty, pretty milk toast these days. That's true. I guess I'll, I'll give you that. And plus it's LQ Jones and he's awesome. He can call uh, the Ranger, once. Yeah. The Ranger captain is actually played by another Peck and pie regular RG Armstrong, who, if you saw the movie, uh, Pat Garrett, Billy, the kid, he's the, he's the sheriff's deputy who is, you know, doesn't like, Pat Garrett and Pat Garrett shoots him in the back. It's it's a it's a good scene. Uh, anyway, uh, they uh, they so he goes and reports to his captain. His captain, just typical '80s cop movie. You know, you're a you're a, you're a screw up, and you're just you're never gonna you're you're always messing up. And I I can't stand you. You giving the Rangers a bad name, and you can't dress right. Blah blah blah. So it's like, you know. Well, it's more than just he doesn't dress right. Like it's the fact that he's yeah. filthy and he's dirty and he's rude. Yeah. He just he doesn't have a clean cut image of law and order. He's he's a gritty get it done guy. Right, and so he gets assigned a partner, and that partner is Ko. Ko, who was the young uh, highway patrol officer who was rescued by him at the uh, at the at the rant, at the uh, horse horse roundup. Yes, so the next sequence, the next scene, it actually then cuts to another scene, and this is at a uh, an airfield. That's the, go ahead, Steve. That's the classic trope too, where the lone wolf gets yes, plugged yeah, in with this that's green the dirty hairy thing. That's the yeah. dirty hairy thing, Stephen. That's I I that's where I was like 100. percent Oh, this is dirty hairy, and of course he doesn't want the guy to be his partner. Um, so now we get a little into the plot, and the plot is you know now we got to introduce our bad guys. So. They go to they cut to the scene in this airfield and there's a uh, uh, was it an a Middle Eastern an Arab guy was that or was it no it was Cuban there was these Cubans who are talking to this guy and they're buying guns from him and then they end up pulling guns on him to shoot him but then he double crosses them and shoots them well the bad guy is the great actor David Carradine and Mike describe how David Carradine looks in this scene I mean here's the thing. <laughs> Let's say you find some kind of GQ from like 1982 at your grandma's (laughs) house and you flip through and you see somebody who's wearing like powder blue Hagar expander belt pants with a a light cardigan sweater pullover, but like kind of open to the chest with a a devil may care hair Uh and smoking a tiny cigarillo. Yeah. And a members only jacket. He's yeah. wearing a members only jacket. For, for, yeah, wearing it. Yeah. So, so, like, I mean, you do give a didn't in the hipster. 80s. You'd be like, this guy's a total hipster. If he walked in the door today, he'd be like, <laughs> I believe he's also got those, those, those calf high boots on, right? The I think slip on boots. He, yeah. Probably, yeah. I think he does in that scene. <laughs> Later, he's wearing like some, some boat slip ons or something. He, and he's he, golded up too. Oh, he's, yeah. he's very, I mean, like, 
there's something to be said. I was I was just listening to people talk about like, should is it is it okay if your movie is sort of locked in amber that it screams the year it was made? And it's like and they said yes, it's okay because it locks in the spirit of that period. This this baby locks in 1983 right there with him, and it's just another point that he doesn't fit into. They're in El Paso, and so they show they make it seem like a very cow town. Everyone's in boots and jeans, and it's super western. And here comes this high roller from out of town, wearing you know fancy New York sweaters and his L.A. pants. Ko goes out to his house. Uh, and his house is this shack that's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's filthy. There's stuff everywhere. Um, there's, it's just absolutely awful. Uh, and Ko wants to, you know, it's like I'm going to be your partner, and you know, I want to, I want to learn from you. And McQuaid's like, no, and that's pretty much it. No. Uh, so he oh, goes. Oh, he goes, and and he is he has a pet wolf. He does have a pet, and wolf, that yes. wolf it charges at the at the young officer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, chases him inside. Yeah, chases him inside the house. So uh, McQuaid goes, and he's he's going to go uh, visit with his family. He's he's divorced. His ex-wife lives nearby, though, and he's on good terms with her. They're very friendly. Uh, and he has a teenage daughter named Sally, and Sally's a very pretty girl. Um, and he gets to meet her boyfriend, Bobby, who is a soldier in the U.S. Army, which, if you don't no, know, El no, Paso. He's an Air Force guy, I think, isn't he? No, he's in the Army. Is he? Oh, okay. He's in the right. army. Right. You're right. Right. Sorry. So if you don't know, El Paso has a major army base, Fort Bliss, right next to it. So he's in the army, and they dropped the mention that McQuaid is a retired Marine. So before he was a cop in the Texas Ranger, he was a Marine. And so he knows some things about killing people. Um, so they go. Uh, he promised his daughter he's going to take her horseback riding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they go out horseback riding. He meets up with his buddy, Dakota. Uh, uh, Ko is actually ends up being there, um, but basically something happens. The daughter's horse gets spooked and runs off. Uh, she's like nineteen, so she's she's not like a young young daughter. But she starts running off, and a lady named Lola Richardson, played by the beautiful Bond girl Barbara Carrera, uh, goes out to and she saves her. She she gets the horse. You know she's out riding a horse herself, and she. Runs, you know, rides the horse out and gets the bridle and kind of calms the other horse down and then starts flirting with McQuaid. Uh, and it turns out that Rit- Lola is very wealthy and she has a partner who turns out to be Raleigh Wilkes, the bad guy, David Carradine, who you saw earlier, but no one knows he's a bad guy. Um, so she invites them to a party where he's going to display his martial arts skill. Uh, I guess parties in El Paso in 1983 also had rings set up where they had kickboxing matches. If you're rich enough. Uh, yeah, if you're rich enough. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um, and so uh, I guess Wilkes doesn't really want to, you know, he's he's got eyes on Lola as well. And uh, so he sends his some of his thugs out to go get a pick a fight with McQuaid. And they do have a fight on the dance floor. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Then McQuaid and and Lola go off together, uh, and then it's it's just kind of a strange scene. I, I, <laughs> well, and Ko's there too. Yeah, yeah, Ko's there. So too. the the whole impetus is the whole yeah. impetus is they try to go. Well, and this is an important point: is they try to goad McQuaid into a fight, and they right. try and they try to get him to fight, and he doesn't want to fight. And then one of the big guys like starts making racial epithets at uh, the young Hispanic uh, uh, highway patrolman. 
which yeah. if you've ever met anybody who is a Texas Highway Patrolman, you, you keep your mouth shut. They're, you're very, yeah. <laughs> they're very intimidating. <laughs> Not they're very nice, but they're very intimidating when they're especially, you know, when you kind of realize who they are. But um, yeah, he, he mouths off to him and then he throws a punch and the guy doesn't. And so it it's more of the thing of the young cub pulls the lone wolf into the fray. But then once yeah. he's fighting, he does. He just he starts throwing high spinning heel kicks like like there's no tomorrow. Well, right. And so another point I want to make, and this is an important point. This scene does have introduces Wilkes's other partner, his partner in the arms business. My favorite character in this whole movie, <laughs> Falcone. <laughs> so, do you guys want to pick up and describe Falcone for me? I, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it. I mean, it's short. He's short. He's a, he's a he's so a little fa- person. He's a little person. He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. He's uh, very dapper, extraordinarily dapper. Yeah. yeah, very well dressed. He has yeah. a, a maniacal, a maniacally trimmed beard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he, he and he has a clipped, villainous accent. Not quite English, but he's yeah. definitely not Hispanic. <laughs> uh, kind of reminds me of uh, what's his name from in the actor studio. That's what's that oh, called? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Robert something. The I, guy with all the cards. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you introduced that. Robert, they, uh, James Lipton. Yes. Yes, James imagine, Lipton. Imagine a uh, miniature James Lipton in a wheelchair, and you're pretty close. Well, then probably the most important thing, and I know we've talked about this in some previous episodes, uh, he goes to the bar to get a drink and he goes, give me a beer. And the guy's like, <laughs> we've got, uh, well, he said, give me a pearl. He's give me a pearl. Or, oh yeah, that's right. They go, they go Just off. Give together. me a pearl beer. Yeah. And then the bartender's like, we got Michelob, uh, something. <laughs> and, Dos and, and, he's and he's like, like never, mind. Eh, never mind. And then she says, top shelf, Sam. And she hands him no, a she top says, shelf. Bottom shelf. Oh, bottom shelf. Bottom that's right. Shelf. Bottom shelf. Sorry. Bottom shelf, Sam. Then she hand, then he hands him the uh, the pearl beer. So he, he is a a man of singular tastes and intentions. Yes, and uh, we find out that uh, pearl beer is of such high stature that it requires uh, special access to be provided by the host of the party. <laughs> so I'm assuming pearl beer is an actual uh, oh. local brand. It was a huge. Um, it was a, yeah, it's, it's it was a huge beer in Texas for a long time, and uh, yeah. it's the brand got sold off to somebody else. It was brewed in San Antonio. There was, and yes. there used to be a giant. It was this kind of weird, rounded, triangular sign, and it said "Pearl Beer." And yep. you would see it every time you went and, to San Antonio. Uh, we actually uh, discussed Pearl quite a bit in our beer episode. Oh, that's right. Which was way back in episode number forty-two. Uh, we discuss. Pearl beer. Um, their their brewery now has been uh, gentrified into a modern uh, restaurant and shopping complex. Yeah, now it's not brewed in Texas. It's a brand of Pabst. Oh. Yeah. But once upon a time, way before Lone Star be- was a was a thing. Many high quality, delicious beers. <laughs> or Pearl was was the thing. Uh, so I think. As far as like the this whole sequence, it really this is where it kicked it into more to me, especially with Falcone. It kicked it into James Bond territory. Like it, it was like it went it went from, you know, kind of dirty Harry meets meets so wet meets Peck and Paw 
it into total James Bond territory with the with the freakish. This is very polite, but the freakish bad guys of you know dapper dapper you know urbane killer David Carradine and little person in a wheel in a motorized wheelchair uh, balcone. That's really really started to be like oh wait there's there's more here. <laughs> brewing in this plot yeah you watch it and you think is this from the mind that gave you mega force (laughs) exactly so so steven you know the three of us are from texas so so far in the movie how are you feeling about texas in this movie (laughs) well the one thing that really grabbed me is when they he parks that Ram charger which was awesome like i completely forgot about the Ram charger like when that machine started like they'd always focus in on that machine inside of the engine that would start like spinning around real fast <laughs> and then he'd take off yeah but they then, did they did that that's a and so like it's a thing that makes car guys kind of nuts is, is that's a supercharger and the idea is is it's a it's a belt driven induction system it compresses the air to give you more oxygen in the cylinders gives you higher performance so when you see supercharged that's what that is it's driven off of the crank and they did it in the Road Warrior movies, too, where you'd see people flip a switch and this thing starts spinning and blowing air. But they're, they're, it's ganged to the engine. So it's mechanically joined to the engine. Like, they don't work like that. There's not a switch you push it's, to get, like, this yeah. also, <laughs> turbo There also has to be a big scoop, a big air scoop on the top of the vehicle to bring in the air for the Oh, yeah, that's true. That didn't and that truck does not have one. No, not at all. Um, it, now, now, Mike... I think so does they really did film this in El Paso though, right? That those long shots of El Paso are really of El Paso. They're not some other town, right? Oh no, the whole thing was filmed in Vancouver, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I meant like they didn't film it in Austin yeah. or no, Houston. It's or all filmed in El Paso. It's yeah. all filmed in El Paso. Yeah. So it, yeah. it looks like that's what El Paso looks like. So it was nice that it's nice to watch a movie about Texas with Texans in the movie. That is that looks like Texas. All right, so let's let's move on with the plot. So the next sequence is then then you get more into the plot here. So basically, Sally and Bobby, her boyfriend, are out necking out on the side of the road somewhere, and they witness the hijacking of a U.S. Army convoy, and um, Bobby gets killed. He gets shot and killed, and they the bad guys uh, basically Sally's still in the car, and so they run and ram the car. And it kind of falls over on the side of a ravine and flips a couple of times. And she gets hurt. But she doesn't die. Uh, well, McQuaid finds out about this. And, of course, that makes him not happy. Uh, so he goes uh, with KO. Uh, and they go to f- try to find out what happened at this, this scene where this this convoy was shot up. And all these soldiers are killed. And they meet. The, they find the FBI there. And so there's a there's an Agent Jackson that's there. Uh, and he's he's like, no, you don't have jurisdiction. You need to stand down and understand that you're upset. But we've, we're controlling this. Well, Lone Wolf McQuaid is not going to stand still and let the feds figure out no, who it classic. was that hurt his little girl. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, this they, is a very hashtag states rights moment. Yeah. So they they go and they try. He's got a he's got a guy that he knows that uh, is probably knows about all the dealings and the criminal dealings in the area. So he's going to go pick him up. So they go to this garment factory, 
uh, and uh, invade this. The two of them invade this garment factory basically to go pick up the guy named Snow is his name. He's kind of a hippie kind of guy with platform shoes, but it's William Sanderson who I think literally like two weeks before he filmed this movie had finished shooting Blade Runner. Uh, he played. Uh, he was also on he, on. Uh, um, he New, was appearing Newhart. on Newhart at the two. Yeah, at the time. So if you know Blade Runner, he's J.S. Sebastian. If you know Newhart, he's Larry of the. Who has this is my brother Daryl and, and, and his other brother Daryl. Yeah. Well, and let me just say this about this scene. So they pull up to this like kind of working garment factory, and if you remember in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a series of video games like Double Dragon bad dudes even like the (laughs) captain america and the avengers game these sort of side-scrolling shooters where like a a, like a door would roll up and then a bad guy would sort of come out and there would be two-dimensional like kick punching that's pretty much what it is it's like basically a (laughs) a litany of guys kind of come out and one-dimensionally walk into like chuck norris's feet (laughs) yeah that's that's the scene right there it's yeah. a 1980s video game. <laughs> it really is. And that's so, the whole movie. But they find that's snow, really and, and of course he's snow, and of course he's got a comically large pile of cocaine on the desk. And <laughs> I felt so bad for poor Sanderson because he's wearing like these... If anybody's seen the, the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 movie, and you remember the character Jeff, like they're just these comical glasses that magnify your eyes... So I know that the poor guy couldn't see a, anything on the set. Like he was basically walking around blind with these stupid glasses on. <laughs> oh just... yeah, and he's got he's got a he's got a necklace with a peace sign on his V neck, and he's got big platform shoes. It's terrible, terrible costumes. <laughs> yeah, so it they, worked. Yeah, so they take Snow out to uh, Dakota's house, and they're gonna uh, they they basically interrogate him, uh, and he tells them uh, to go and talk to Falcone. Falcone knows what's going on. Um, and so they're holding him uh, at the house and Wilkes. Uh, so, so McQuaid goes off to talk to Falcone and Wilkes uh, comes in with his men and they kill Dakota. And they also kill Snow. And of course, that really is the straw that breaks the camel's back uh, in a lot of ways. So, uh, as McQuaid goes and visits, uh, as, as, so basically McQuaid, uh, is called into the office of his captain who suspends him because he interfered in the investigation. He got another ranger killed. He got his informant killed. And so you're suspended without pay for a month and the the ATF agents there and he's angry and he's like, I'm going to have you, I should have you indicted. And Jackson's there and he's like, uh, you know, why did you do this? Well, you know, he's a little more sympathetic. Um, but basically, you know, Wilkes says, uh, uh, McQuaid has figured out that, that Wilkes is an arms merchant who's taking these guns, uh, to sell them, uh, somewhere in South America. So, and that's, that's what he's doing. We'd be remiss if we missed the scene that was going on parallel pretty much to that scene where they're snow and Dakota and Rayo are locked up in their house where, um, the scene where Lola Richardson is has basically moved into oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. JJ McQuaid's yeah. ranch because and he she's doesn't need a woman it. to take care of him, right? But <laughs> he leaves he leaves this active investigation to go home to get something, and he finds her there and she's cleaning his house, 
and then make some like, health food. No, no, hang on, hang on. She she's cleaning his house, and he walks in, and he's like, "What?" He's like, "Just he he is mortified to see this woman. Yeah. He is so mad to have some woman come into the house, and she's cleaning all this stuff, and he throws he throws a a two year old hissy fit. No, no, no. Where's my beer? If he wants a maid, he'll pay for one. Right or now, let me interrupt. And Scott's tone there. That is Chuck Norris emoting. So, uh, you know, he, when we say these things, these are like we understand that he's he's emoting, but he's not. He's just Chuck Norris. So his range of emotion is not very, very deep. Let's here. be fair that if Chuck, like, Norris had, if Chuck Norris emoted, he might have killed like three people on the set that day. Yeah. He might have killed <laughs> right. two, two grips and a camera operator might have died if he'd have heavily emoted. That's how powerful right, but the man then is. He, he feels bad that he yells at her. You know, she cries. And Chuck then he's Norris. like. Yeah, Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris showed emotion one day that registered 6.3 on the Richter scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, anyway, he feels bad that he made her cry. So he goes in and, and he helps her clean out his house and everything. And then they, like, start spraying each other with water in the yard in the front <laughs> area and in a mud pit. And they start rolling around in the mud and water and making out and stuff and while his buddy's getting killed. So that's... That's something that happens in this movie. Well, yeah, yeah. I might as well be playing uh, "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head," and that's oh, <laughs> another great Texas artist. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what happens is though that the next day uh, Jackson comes to to uh, McQuaid's house and tells him, "Hey, you know, I want to work with you uh, because I know what it's like to be an outsider uh, and to be, you know, not liked." Yeah, because uh, Jackson is African American, and I won't use the phrase that he refers to himself at, but he is a token of some kind. He says that is a line in the movie. It's an awkward line; doesn't really hold up to the test of time. Let's get it right. He says, "I'm not just the token." You yes. know what? Uh, and and he says that because he's like he's a serious he's a serious policeman who takes this right. job seriously. And they contrast that. So he's a a federal while he is a federal agent, which we're is supposed to be code for incompetent here. They they contrast him against the ATF guy who is, you know, Mister by an idiot and Mister by the by the rules and by the book and yeah. and that's going to get him killed. Yeah. So they go. Uh, so Jackson has a plane and they go flying around the desert looking for, uh, looking for Wilkes's where wherever this you know they've hijacked this stuff and they actually find it. And they see it. Um. And so they come back and uh. Um, they come back with the with Ramos and with the idiot ATF agent and some other agents, and they're gonna they find the they have trading headquarters in the desert. Uh, agent Burnside is the ATF agent, by the way, and they're gonna they stalk down there to try to arrest everyone. Well, Burnside runs out in the middle of a field in the middle of the airfield and says, "All right, hands up! This is the FBI. You're under arrest." And of course, they kill him. Um, and there's a big gunfight and at Jackson and Ramos are wounded, um, and they escape, but McQuaid is caught. He gets beaten up by Wilkes, um, big time. I mean, this is Chuck Norris's probably Chuck Norris's biggest beating in any movie I've ever seen. Okay. So this leads us to the most epic part of the movie because the pièce de résistance. The, the actual, the, the thing that this movie is probably most known for. And so, Stephen, why don't you tell us about this scene, you know, remembering, you know, the, the first time you saw it and then when you rewatched it. So, J.J. McQuaid, they've 
each member of this party has been in some way grievously wounded. McQuaid is beat. Jackson, I believe, was gut shot. Kao was uh, some was wounded. And so they're put into they put. J.J. McQuaid in his Ram Charger and bury it in a Ram Charger sized hole in the ground. <laughs> and he's he's buried inside of this inside of this crypt of what his uh, Ram Charger has been. And he comes back to life a little bit. And what's the first thing he does? He pats around and he finds a can of his pearl beer, takes warm. a little sip warm, warm. Yeah. <laughs> And pours some beer all over his head. And then he hammers it, this Ram Charger. And then it starts moving. And it starts moving a little bit more. And then that supercharger gets turned on. And it just slowly bursts out of the out of the hole that he's been buried in. He figuratively and literally comes back from the dead. And then just, you know... The next round yeah. of ass kicking. Can I say that? I'll yeah, change that. That's fine. <laughs> well, here's one thing I wanted to say is uh, you're right that this is the scene. And in fact, in Roger Ebert's review, he talks about that th- he really f- had a nice thing when he wrote a review in A3 saying that this could be Chuck Norris's Man with No Name movie. This could be something that becomes a series. And he says that the plot really goes nowhere, but who cares because it's exciting and it's having fun. Um, and he said, characters have archetypical scenes. Eastwood had the scene where he killed three men with a bullet. And then for Lone Wolf McQuaid, it's this scene where he pours the beer over his head, hits the accelerator, and drives that mother right out of the grave. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you go, Roger. Yeah. This is a, yeah. it, it, is, it is an iconic scene. I like you can see the, the gumball, um, his uh, police lights. You can see them under the dirt right before it breaks yeah, out. Yeah, that was so cool. Well, yeah. His, yeah, yeah. And uh, we find out, of course, that he was struck down only to uh, be reborn more powerful than he was before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, this well, for, for, for film yeah. nerds, is like, this is clearly the big turn in the second act. Yeah, so uh, it turns out that... Uh, Wilkes has taken both Lola and Sally with him down to Mexico, uh, and uh, he's kidnapped Sally, and he's got he's got Lola, and so uh, McQuaid goes and visits Falcone in another great scene uh, because he knows Falcone has knows what's going on. Uh, so Falcone, who is part of the Mexican mafia apparently, has been disguising his drug dealing and his gun dealing. Uh, as a pinball dealer, pinball machine dealer, and video game dealer, so his 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 condo at the racetrack has like all these pinball machines and video games and all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely once again whack job. It is thunderball level crazy. <laughs> it is so nuts. It's part of what it's part of the charm of this movie. Is how yeah. just random things are. You like just when you think it can get weirder. There's a little person in a wheelchair playing pinball machines and pointing yeah. a gun at a Texas Ranger. Yeah, a gold-plated gun. Yeah, points his gold-plated gun. He's like, mine's bigger. And, and then, mine's bigger than yours is. And then he and says, you look- mine's loaded. <laughs> <laughs> right you are, Ranger. But that scene actually, it. I think, comes earlier, Sean, because when he, after None he is beat up, he goes to his ex-wife's house and finds that Sally's been kidnapped. Right, right. And then and Falcone shows up at yeah. the house. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. 
You're right. The sequence, the sequence earlier, that was before he went over. Yeah. So there was an earlier sequence. Then in this time, uh, Falcone comes to see him and tells him. Oh, yeah. That Falcone comes to see him at his house and tells him, Wilkes has double crossed me and I want him eliminated. If you do something for me, I'll do something for you. So, Stephen, I, you, we were interrupting you. What were you going to say? That scene in Falcone's house, like you look at it through your two perspectives, your 2018 self, and it's like, what is this place is so bizarre. But when you put yourself back into your middle school, <laughs> 1980s self, and it's like that was the coolest room you could ever imagine. Like you couldn't imagine it. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I think the thing too about it is is that like it very much is a time capsule piece of that. Um, what is funny is that Falcone shows up, and once again, he's not prepared to compromise his morals for himself. But his ex-wife, who has a really actually a lovely relationship with his ex-wife, and she's like, "Jim, please, anything to get Sally back," and and he's like, "Fine, Falcone." And then and it's only begrudgingly that he agrees. To make a deal with the devil to get back at Wilkes. Yeah. So they, they have to travel to Mexico. Uh, he travels to Mexico by himself. Uh, and then when he gets to Mexico, he finds waiting for him Ramos and Jackson. Uh, and apparently they have to, they're going to have to travel. They're going to have to travel over land. <laughs> uh, they were all three wounded. He's got broken ribs. They uh, climb a Jackson mountain. has a gut shot. <laughs> Ramos has, has a bullet wound in his leg and they're climbing up mountains and over ravines and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, through a sovereign country, through another country. Yeah. <laughs> so they're traveling over land and they, to, to find themselves at, at, uh, Wilkes's base. And when they get there, I mean, they've got anti-tank guns. They've got, They've it's got an arms guns. depot. It's <laughs> an arms, arms dealer. Literal arms depot. Like they've got a missile in the <laughs> in the, the <laughs> hangar. It's He's crazy. got a missile. He's got a freaking missile. Um, so Chuck sneaks in. Uh, McQuaid sneaks in to go find Sally, and he and he finds her. Uh, and then uh, and then that's when the fight starts. And there is a battle. I mean, crazy battle. Well, <laughs> it's three guys. In the like middle of like, it, Barbara Carrera is there, and like yeah. they, they get to Sally, and they start sneaking Sally out, and then that's when they get spied, and everything goes crazy. Everything goes, goes haywire. Yeah. So Sally gets shot in the leg, um, and so they're kind of huddling underneath a truck, and but I mean, the Ramos gets some grenades, and they've got <laughs> they've got rocket launchers, they've got machine guns, and it's like yeah, it's crazy. There's these three guys kill like two hundred bad guys in this single fight um like really heavily armed heavily armed guys. yeah yeah um but in the end um mcquade and uh wilkes are it has to come down to them and so they have a hand-to-hand -hand fight a hand-to-hand -hand battle and it's awesome i mean you know, he's wearing Sansa belt slacks and a V-neck V-neck sweater. Oh, it is that kind of. And then the 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 punch kicking then devolves into like machine gunning and oh no 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 that's right. So they yeah, he defeats a punch kick fight. Sorry, yeah. he defeat. There's punch kick fight. 
Well, no, there's a there's a sequence though. He they, defeats, he's losing. He's, he's losing. losing. McQuaid's losing. McQuaid's then losing. Sally runs in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Sally yes. runs in and tries to help her dad, and and Wilkes turns around and backhands her, and that's it. It's done. It's yeah. done. It's over. <laughs> oh, and that from that point on, uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid does not uh, miss a single punch or kick. And then don't forget all that like um, stuff that David Carradine was doing, like those like karate moves from uh, the Tai Chi, uh, like his Chai Quan. Yeah, from Kung Kung Fu. Kung Fu, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it was so cool. What's so that happens? But then he, oh yeah, he's doing like he's like he's doing like tiger. He's doing like tiger. Yeah, he's doing like the tiger, tiger paw, and he's got some tai chi in there. He's got a whole kinds of weird stuff he's doing. But he gets defeated in hand to hand combat, and then Raleigh Wilkes runs over, grabs a little Mac Ten or a little Uzi or something, and Barbara Carrera says, "You know, look out!" and jumps in the way, and she takes a fatal bullet wound. Yeah, and Raleigh Wilkes, who cared for this woman, even though he was a criminal and, and bad guy, like he he feels bad he shot her, so he's kind of taking paws. And she dies in McQuaid's arms. And then Raleigh Wilkes starts shooting at him. And then Chuck Norris doesn't have a gun handy, doesn't need a gun because he's got a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> so he charges into a machine gun with his grenade. And then uh, I think, don't they get on the, uh, in the big like. Uh, oh, yeah, they blow up the building with Wilkes. Well, he gets yeah. in like a tank and then like uh, McQuaid gets in a bulldozer. Oh, no, that was before that. That, oh, was, before right. that, that, was, before. that was before. That was early. Yeah. That was in the initial Wilkes. battle. Wilkes gets in a half track, armored half track, and McQuaid gets in, in a in a bulldozer. And it's like the craziest game of chicken you've ever seen. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. But, I saw that. It was a good that, game of chicken in uh, Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> but in that climactic uh, sequence there with uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid running with the grenade, to get within throwing range of where Wilkes is standing with the machine gun. Um, the bullets, uh, well, they move out of Chuck Norris's way. They do. And uh, <laughs> he does a little uh, head fake to uh, draw them away and uh, get within throwing distance. And that's that's it for Wilkes. Yep, yeah. that's it. And then... Uh... Cut to yeah. So then, well, no, then so then Falcone shows up in his helicopter. <laughs> yes, uh, and he lands, <laughs> and he's like, "Thank you, McQuaid, for eliminating my rival." Blah blah blah, and they kick him out of his helicopter uh, as the Mexican Federals are coming, and they take the helicopter and they fly away, and they uh, leave because, Falcone because, because Jackson is a qualified pilot. <laughs> That's right. They proved that earlier because <laughs> he's flying the little Cessna. Um, <laughs> and then they get away out of his helicopter, and then you see McQuaid, and he's clean cut. Clothes are washed, looking sharp, and he's receiving an order. Um, he's receiving a, an award. That award he gets is the Texas Medal of Valor. And I found the actual statute for what this a medal is supposed to be. It's the second highest order uh, medal that Texas issues. There's like one like the Texas Legislature Medal of Valor. The Lone Star Medal of Valor shall be awarded to a member of the military forces of this state, another state, or the United States, who performs specific acts of bravery or outstanding courage, or who performs within an exceptionally short period a closely related series of heroic acts. If the acts involve personal hazard or danger and the voluntary risk of life and result in an accomplishment so exceptional and outstanding as to clearly set the person apart from the person's comrades or from other persons in similar circumstances. Awarding the medal requires a lesser degree of gallantry than awarding the Texas Legislature Medal of Honor, but requires that the acts be performed with marked distinction. 
And that's, uh, there's like a whole Even government Even though he was there. illegally out of the state, <laughs> yeah. out of the country. It did kind of happen in Mexico, the big part of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and probably violated some kind of treaty. But, you know, the, 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 well, let's get, let's get to the end. So then you see him there and he's going to help his wife and his daughter move. And yeah, he's, he's been, I want to talk about this just a oh, little yeah. bit. He's been conflicted about his wife and his daughter moving away. They're moving away. He doesn't want them to move. They're going to be so far away. They're moving to Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is 50 miles from El Paso. That's not even an hour. I mean, it's not like they're moving to Paris. They're still going to be. It's not like they're moving to Lubbock. They're going to be in New Mexico, Sean. So we're just going to have to draw the line. The line the, must be the drawn. Important yeah. thing, I mean, the they important well. thing to remember is that they're moving out of Texas. That's the main I think, thing. I think if they were said, like, well, you know, we're moving to Van Horn, he'd be like, eh, okay. I mean, at that West point, Texas. they might as well have been moving to Massachusetts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But the, the, I the, the, but then at the end, then Ko pulls up. And he's like, "Ranger, there, you know, there's a uh, I can't remember what it is. There's some crisis. Yeah, they're robbing a bank. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbing they're robbing a bank, and they've got hostages. And he's like, he like runs off and jumps, and he's like, "Sorry, I gotta go." And he jumps in the car, and his ex-wife goes, "JJ McQuaid, you'll never change." And scene. <laughs> but here's a, there's a couple of things though like before we get too off of it and just say there's a, there's some stuff we you know ha- this soundtrack was to me was like nuts like to me this movie yeah the soundtrack is really nuts because it has the Ennio Morricone like Sergio Leone whistling and I mean it it cribs so heavy from those spaghetti western themes some of the stuff and then it has very syrupy like like um soap opera music in the love scenes yeah. with barbara carrera and then it gets like this weird syntho pop like this heavy moog synthesizer thing right out of like a clockwork orange when it, raleigh wilkes is on screen sorry yeah and ahead. what struck me is i was i very much 100 percent heard in several parts um a direct homage to um the night on bald mountain yes um it was bizarre it's like it sounded like one of those things where it's like well we don't really want to license this music so we're gonna make something that sounds exactly like it except for like one note um that's how close it sounded to me at times which i thought was an interesting choice well, the film only a yeah, very interesting choice. So that's just something when you watch it, because you people will go back and watch it. I know that. Um, but you know, it, the movie cost five million dollars to make, and it made like I think it you know it made fifteen million plus whatever it made in the video markets and residuals and stuff. So this movie made money. But I think what's really important about this film, when you look at it, is 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 it took Chuck Norris cleanly out of the kung fu karate ninja action star and dropped him into action star you know this that this was a transformative uh role for him from a career standpoint because for this you know you look at eye for an eye you look at the octagon you look good guys wear black go back and watch all those movies um you know they're just they're straight up you know martial arts movies and so this was his chance to you know he's he's got guns there's tanks there's pinball machines and 
<laughs> but there, you know, there, this was this was just it was a genre buster for him, and the fact that it was successful allowed him to then in 1993, you know, ten years later he revisited it, and we got Walker Texas Ranger, which is kind of not what this was. This was I think Walker Texas Ranger is probably the movie that Chuck Norris wanted to make in 1983, but this was a much more artistic vision of it. Yeah, that led him into there was Invasion USA and oh, yeah. <clears throat> the um, Missing in Action movie. So it really was a big, big transition for his career. Definitely. Yeah. I think you kind of need to look at this one and, and at Code of Silence uh, and Good Guys yeah. Wear Black is kind of serious. These were like serious roles for as serious as Chuck Norris really got, but serious roles for him uh, where they had there was despite how crazy this movie is there was a strength in, in the in the story and in the performance you know or the delta force too where oh yeah most of that movie was a pretty serious take on that situation you know and then of course with like roundhouse kicks <laughs> you well, can't you, get away from those listen i mean if you <laughs> if you're going to put Chuck Berry in your movie you he's got to have a guitar in at some point Chuck Norris. oh <laughs> you're going to put Chuck okay yeah. I'm just okay, saying, like, like, <laughs> we're gonna cast that. You know, I, I, I get Elvis. Pre- we're gonna have Elvis Presley in the movie, and he isn't gonna sing. I don't think so. I hired Chuck <laughs> Norris. I need to see those kicks. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy, listen, Chuck the guy, Norris, Chuck Norris never uh, met a problem he couldn't fix with a house <laughs> kick to the face. with a cowboy boot. <laughs> I think that the movie just—it's a—it's it's an iconic like movie for me. It's one of those that resonated in. In mind, like, so for those who know, like, we're of the age, you know, we were eight when this movie came out. And so, uh, and I think that, you know, that that, this was just a a super influential time for cinema at the time. There were just great films. The early 80s came out. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of this is definitely like what people should picture when they think of a Texas Ranger. Um, in a lot of ways, like this is the stereotype because it's it's it is the stereotype from the old west, just put in the modern time. Um, you know the stoic, you know, stoic, hard bitten loner Texas. You know, one riot, one ranger. The, this is the personification of that. Um, it is not a great procedural, but it is a good movie that should show really Texas things. Now, I mean. He's introduced by taking yeah. down horse thieves of all things. Right, you know, exactly. How much more old west Texas Ranger can you get? Yeah. Oh, I agree. He's, he's got cowboy boots on. He's got a big, big belt buckle uh, with a big star on it. So, I mean, he he drinks pearl beer. He's got a wolf. We all have wolves in Texas. We're issued them when we're born. <laughs> right, so. Well, I did notice too. There's another note that. Um, this film was originally rated R, and Chuck Norris uh, appealed it to the MPAA, and he said, uh, uh, this is the second time I've appealed. They gave good guys wear black and R, but I persuaded them to make it PG. My argument was the strong positive image I project on the screen. The word karate, unfortunately, connotates violence to many people. Actually, it's a means of avoiding violent situations and a form of defense if you have no choice and you're backed in a corner. My films are similar to the John Wayne movies of the 40s. 
He'd go into a bar, and Jack Palance would pick a fight with him, and then Wayne would take out half the saloon. It's the same theme. A man is pushed into a situation where he has to resort to violence. So I think he he sees himself in that, you know, it's just interesting that like anybody can appeal to the MPAA board and get any traction. And the fact that he was able to do it for both um, Good Guys Wear Black and The Wolf McQuaid are actually PG films is, is kind of crazy. But it's also uh, probably it's a, part of the reason we saw that when we were kids. It's That's a, like a, I mean, it's a pretty clean film. There's not much bad language in it at all. No. There's, there's no blood. I mean, not compared to even compared to like. You know the horror movies of the day. There's no blood, so well, I do that. See my... why it would be rated R. There's no nudity, so yeah. What's the big deal? I do that. I mean, you guys. My, uh... oh, go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. You guys have young kids, and it's hard to bring your kids to a PG movie these days. There's so few of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do enjoy the way my son when we watch films. If we say, uh, "Is there going to be a lot of romance in this movie?" <laughs> it's this, like, which is code movie. for kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I always think back to the, yeah, to the, to the is there kissing in this book, Grandpa? But um, I mean, probably the most frightening thing in this movie is definitely uh, Chuck Norris's che- the hair on his chest. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the most uh, disturbing and frightening thing. Well, go back and no, I would I would say Derek David Carradine's slacks are <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty scary. Yeah. yeah, you want to see some awesome chest? Go back and watch Return of the the Infight from Return of the Dragon. With him and Bruce Lee, um, yeah, it's I like I think it's a it's a great role. It's a great look. It's got everything in the world you could want. It's got a nutty poster, uh, and it it you know it just it I just I can't say and you know put enough love on this film. Like you just gotta watch it and be like, this is nuts. Oh, I I almost forgot the computer hacking scene in here is oh, yeah. great oh yeah so he's like on the phone trying to mcquade's on the phone trying to get information about like what was stolen in this army convoy and he keeps getting the rumor on the phone and he basically looks like he's about to pull out his pistol and shoot the phone he's so frustrated and then ko shows up the young upstart and he's like hey man you got a second i want to show you something and he's like called over and i got the some passcodes and so he pulls up and it's like an you know just an old like vax terminal type computer uh he's like punching in these codes and then it pulls up like all the all of but it's just it's like watching your it's just it's a 1982 computer like it's a, a 1982 mainframe like just spitting out like green screens of like text and you're like riveted for five and a half minutes of this computer scene <laughs> that's gotta Random be text that's got to be one of the first uh, uses of computer hacking in film. Uh, well, that and War Games, which came out the same year. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, this I was... just like the uh, the computer noises, you know, because <laughs> back in the 80s, uh, when text appeared on the screen, it would make little beeping sounds. Yeah. Oh, there was another one with um, a fellow Texan, Dabney Coleman, War Games. That had a lot of computer hacking, and that also came out in 1983. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So just for fun, to let you know that um, if you look at the top films in 1983, most of them are really influential to, to people in our age bracket. Um, you Return of the Jedi, Terms of Endearment. There's Flash Dance. Mm-hmm. War, Trading war Places. Yeah, War Games is one of them. 
Um, Octopussy, uh, the first James Bond film that I ever saw in the theater. Yeah, me too. Sudden Impact and Staying Alive. Classic <laughs> Mr. Mom. Whatever it oh, takes. Oh, Mr. Mom. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, so here's a movie that did better than, than Lone Wolf McQuaid. Uh, and I think it's kind of a forgotten movie. High Road to China, which had uh, Tom Selleck playing a pilot in the like 1920s. Oh, uh, it's Sean. an adventure movie. It's a great movie. It's, I love that it's a movie. Really good. Movie. Yeah. The ox is slow, but the earth is willing. <laughs> the and thing... then, <laughs> and and then my probably actually my favorite movie besides Return of the Jedi of the night of 1983 uh, is uh, the Right Stuff, which was number oh, rank wow. 33. It it mm-hmm. didn't do well at all. Yeah, um, I know. Blue Thunder did much better. <laughs> it's because the right stuff is 12 hours long. Mm-hmm. And no, my favorite like Jaws great. movie, Jaws 3D. Hello. Ooh. Hey, that's the movie that makes me think about Ciarama. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've, yeah, we just talked about Ciarama the other day. And was that, um, look, I mean, you got Cujo and Christine and the Dead Scar- Zone. You got three Stephen Kings. Yeah. Scarface. Oh, Scarface. What? Come on, man. <laughs> Where was Scarface? What was the, the sixteen oh, way up there? It was number sixteen. Yeah. Um, Krull and Space Hunter. Um, oh, your your Hunter from the your future. Is Hunter from the future. Even, even All of better. You've got it. Got low Dr. budget uh, B movie lovers. You've got yes. Doctor Detroit and Deal of the Century, and you've got another Christopher Walken okay. hit with Brainstorm. Let's let's talk about Deal of the Century for just a few moments because that <laughs> has it's a very wonderful movie. parallel to Lone Wolf McQuaid with the uh, illegal arms dealing, a common theme of the time. Um, now, just beating out Lone Wolf McQuaid uh, was the classic Burt Reynolds um, car racing movie, Stroke Race. That is a Hal Needham movie. Where he gets to wear that chicken outfit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Stephen, you said you mentioned uh, the... The Christmas Vacation, yeah, and, Christmas, sorry, Christmas Story, yeah, Christmas Story. I mean, that was a that was fairly much a flop, even though it was a little bit above our uh, our very own Lone Wolf, well, Wolf McQuaid. But that's thing. another one. You have a not only do you have a Christmas Story, but you have National Lampoon's Vacation that year. Oh yeah, the Vacation was a big hit. You have, yeah. and, and yeah. then you get some other. I mean, like Eddie and the Cruisers came out that year. Yellowbeard came out that year. Yeah, so Yellowbeard, there's two movies on this list that, that were famous movies for for actors dying in the movie. Uh, one of them was Yellowbeard, where Marty Feldman jumped into a barrel and had a heart attack and passed away. Uh, and then actually, uh, Graham Chapman died shortly afterwards, after the movie. He was in Yellowbeard. The other one was Twilight Zone, the movie, which famously, during the John Landis sequence, the helicopter sequence, there was a terrible, terrible helicopter mm-hmm. accident. And uh, Vic Damone was killed, uh, as well as two child actors were killed in that. So those are two famous movies for people dying literally on screen. Oh, I know. Well, then you had the the start of everything for the Bruce Campbell fans. You had Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you had Videodrome. Oh, yeah. Strange Brew, eh? Strange Brew, eh? Tender Mercies. You had, uh, like, a Star 80, which, you know... Yeah, there's a lot of the movies also that are uh, that are have become better known today. Like, you know, like right stuff is one of, Well, <laughs> King of Comedy, which is King one Comedy. of Martin Scorsese's, mm-hmm. you know, more famous un- underseen films. But uh, that's a that was a big one. Um, 
a gem in there that's not that should be well better known as Bad Boys, the original one with Isai yes. Morales and Sean Penn. That was oh, such yeah. a good movie. It's a great film. I have never seen that. They it's were a in a, that on my list. I mean, the they year were of bad living boys. dangerously yeah. is there too, and the man with two brains. I forgot that was on this list. The, you know, DC Cab. You know, all these things that you're the people of our age. If you are in your early forties, and you're you know, if you're in that early forties to to maybe like early fifties, and you hear like never. Oh, we didn't even say never say never again. For which Barbara Carrera was nominated for a Golden Globe for her role as Fatima Blush. By the way. Oh yeah, that's true. By the way, can we just pause for a second and the say that the pen uh, is mightier. The pen. <laughs> what? <laughs> it is true. Yes, that's another crazy movie, but not a Texas movie. Um, but you know, it's it's like her career was white hot for a while, but it turns out like she's an artist. She's been married multiple times to like various levels of royalty and stuff. Like, so she hasn't done anything <laughs> since two thousand and four, but. Still, she's great in films. I just, I just think like you look at this kind of time and you say, "Wow!" Like there are films that have been such huge an influence on on people from oh, both the, the small to the big to the small to the obscure. The big chill. The big, the big chill. chill is hugely influential movie. That's a huge. It's one. I, I still love that movie. It's a in in a, yeah. in a weird way. But yeah, war, you know, you just look at these and you you know, Superman three, not so much. Uh, but I think I think the other thing is that <laughs> I'm looking on here. Staying Alive was in was eighth for the year, uh, and I saw that in the theater. I remember seeing it in the theater. But uh, what were your parents I think thinking? These things are like for the other than Return of the Jedi and a few a few other movies. These movies are definitely movies of their time. Like they're. You back to your point, you can look at these movies and these are kind of largely movies that are frozen in amber. Right. Uh, except for some of the period pieces like High Road to China, the right stuff they are in the Christmas story. They are frozen in amber in terms of they are definitely a product of their time. I'd say Christmas story probably is the least a product of its time uh, just because of the backstory behind the story and the, the director who was famous for directing Porky's. Um, and it's become such a not the iconic Christmas movie now. But most of these movies you can look at and say that movie was made in 1983. Like very clearly, no no doubt about it, that was made in 1983. But they still, it, it's still a strong year for movies. It's still a strong year for for movies of their time. I think. Well, and I think Lone Wolf is definitely a movie of its time. You look at this. You look at this list, and it reminds me of when they did the when. Um, Oh, it was one of the Austin Powers movies was coming out. And they said, if you see one movie this year, it'll probably be the Star Wars, the new Star Wars film. But if you see two movies, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think that's the thing. You look at that 83 list and everybody gets blinded by Jedi. And then you go down and you're just like, oh, my God, like this is insane. So, well... Yeah. Well, so Stephen, so Stephen, for your listeners who are not from Texas, what would you like to say about this movie? I think that watching it, and you just, even if it's not the most accurate portrayal of the Texas Rangers and life in West Texas, I think you get a feeling of of what it is. Like you get the the comic book version of it and i thought that that's to me that's what was really great about the movie is even watching it 30 odd years later 35 years later that it's just you get such a 
taste of like a time period, even though I mean, it's very dressed up and it's very over the top. That's what I liked about it is that you really felt like you were watching something real in a way. Absolutely. That sums it up perfectly. It's it's what it's what West Texas wanted to be. Yeah, it's a, at its very best. At its very best. <laughs> there you go. Yes. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. We'd like to thank Stephen Guerra for joining us today to talk about this great movie. You can find his podcast at a to z historypage.com or on iTunes by searching for Beyond the Big Screen. You can follow us individually too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. I'm Scotticus. Do you have one, Stephen? Yeah, you can find me at Big Screen Beyond at Big Screen Beyond. If you like the show, Tell your friends and remember to leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash Texas podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.